Welcome to Coles on the Coast, where we talk about riding the waves of sustainability, preparedness, and living the small homestead life. You are about to listen to a live video stream that Charlie and I did. Um, so you'll hear some clicking and things like that where we were showing things on the computer. Uh, make sure that you like and subscribe to be able to follow us for more. And if you ever want to check out our next live stream, it'll more than likely be on a Sunday. But like and subscribe and you'll see. Welcome to Coles on the Coast, the podcast where we talk about sustainability, preparedness, and living the small homestead life. I'm Charlie. I'm Jessica. And this is episode 13 of the Coles on the Coast. We're going to be talking about first aid kits today. So when you want to create a first aid kit, you need to go ahead and have a plan as to what you're going to include, who's going to be using the kit, and where you're going to be storing it. Because all of that is essential to how functional the kit will be for you. Especially who's going to be using the kit. Because if you've got small kids, you want to make sure that you've got drugs in there that can help them. That you've got tools in there that can help them. It's not really going to be a whole lot of good if the only thing you have in your first aid kit is a bottle of aspirin and some Pepto-Bismol, right? Because those are dangerous for children. They can cause Rye syndrome and kids under 18. And it's no benefit for young kids. But if you're an elderly person, right, you don't want anything that's going to cause issues there. So you may want to take in, you know, blood pressure into account and buy something that's more blood pressure related. See, that, that's kind of the idea. Figure out who all is going to be using the kit and then cater that to fit the needs of the, the group. You also want to take into consideration organization because if you don't have it organized, if you don't have it organized, you're not going to know where anything is and you're not going to be able to help anybody get to it. Especially in a, in a life-threatening situation where you need to administer... Now, let's say you have an EpiPen in your kit or a tourniquet. It's more difficult to administer either one of those if you don't know which pocket you put it in, um, which area of the kit it's in, or anything like that. So you want to be able to, to open the kit, know where it's at, and get it out. Then you also want to take into consideration if like you're going to have a babysitter using the kit. Because if you know where stuff is organized, then you can talk them through where to find the, the ibuprofen if your kid's running a fever one day that you're, you know, that you got the babysitter at the house and you're out for dinner. And then you also want to to consider where you're going to keep the kit. Because if you're going to, if you don't have a whole lot of space and you want to put something in the medicine cabinet, you got to take into consideration how big your medicine cabinet is, what you already have in there, and then kind of go from there that you may not have enough room for a whole trauma setup, but you'll have plenty of room for, you know, a couple bottles of kids Tylenol or a, a bottle of pain reliever and some band-aids. And, you know, that may be all you need, but you you got to take all of that into consideration. Cuz if you go with a bigger kit, you've got to have a bigger place to put it, maybe utility room or a closet. It just it it depends on what you want what your plan is, who's going to be using it, what the capabilities are that you want it to have, and yeah, so that that's, just make sure you, you plan the kit so you know, have a general idea of what you need to do. And see, because here, we'll show you this, 
we have a kit that's very much like the one right here on the side. It's a uh, it's a Plano tackle kit or tackle box. And it's got three different drawers in it, and they're all. And I think this is actually the exact page that I found that I, I used to base the kit off of, right? So you can put trauma stuff in the top. You can put, see, there's your trauma shears. This I say trauma, but this is really just basic first aid, which we'll go into that a little bit more in a minute. See that you've got an, a bowels and belly section. You've got a allergy and bite section. You've got a band-aid and neosporin section. Look, there's mupirocin. That's the <laughs> that that mupirocin stuff is what we've been prescribed for. Uh, some bottom blisters. Impetigo. <laughs> Both. Um, wound management. Fever and pain. Gloves. You know, you you can do all sorts of cool stuff with it. Because, like in here, they've got bandages on one side, wound... Uh, what does that say? Swabs and steri-strips. And then she's got her little first aid manual, one on each side of this. So, it, I mean, it works. We've used it. We still use it. Um, mine's set up a little bit different. Actually, I, have, I do have more trauma type stuff in the top here. But um, that goes into our next portion, which is stocking your kit. Um, you have to know, let's see. You got to figure out what capabilities you want. So it goes back to planning your kit. Are you intending this to be a kit that's just a boo-boo kit, like for first, you know, band-aids if you cut yourself with a piece of paper, or are you looking for something that maybe has medication in it so you can take care of a, an upset stomach or a headache, or are you looking for you know the ability to uh, sequester a what am I trying to say? Stop a massive hemorrhage, right? So a tourniquet or Z-pack combat gauze. Are you looking for trauma type um, stuff or capability? And so if you're looking for any of that, you, you've got to figure out what all you're going to use and this I'll go ahead and say this video is not intended to be a comprehensive this is what I use in a first aid kit this is a general idea and to get you thinking on how you can set up your own first aid kit and cater to the capabilities that you want maybe figure out something that you don't have that you need or figure out what you don't need that you have in your kit maybe sure because I would assume everybody has some type of first aid kit, even if it's just one of the little Walmart ones that people bought them for their first house or something. You would assume that there are people that don't have any first aid in their house. Well, the most they have is a bottle of ibuprofen and a bottle of children's Tylenol. It's a start. Right. And, I mean, that's... But that's out of necessity 
having to go get something because you had a headache or your kid was sick at night. Not necessarily with intentionality or as I'm going to have this in case I've got this issue going on. When you stock these kits, it's very important to stock what you know and to know what you stock. And what I mean by that is if you're familiar with the way a, a drug is used, right? So if you, you take Claritin, don't go out and buy Allegra and put that in your kit because you're not used to the way that affects you and you don't really know how to dose it the same as you do the Claritin. Same thing with anything. If you're used to Imodium, Pepto-Bismol is good you know, to have as a secondary, but don't not buy Imodium and go to Pepto-Bismol. You want to know how the drugs affect you and how they affect your children and how they affect your family. And you want to know how to use those drugs. Because there are certain drugs, like Benadryl, shouldn't be used in kids under two because it can cause serious side effects. Unless you're intentionally looking at that, you're not going to know it. So you've got to be familiar with what you've got in that kit. And that comes in handy when it comes to trauma type stuff. Because if you've got a tourniquet for a trauma situation, or you have a pressure bandage for a trauma situation, you want to be able to have a test tourniquet, or at least have some familiarity with it. Like maybe take a, a class to learn how to use those items. That way, when an emergency presents itself, you know how to use the item. It's not worth anything if it's just there and you don't know how to use it. When it comes to kits like this, a lot of people like to cheap out. And they say, well, I'm going to make a kit, but I don't have enough money to spend on brand name stuff, so I'm going to go buy generics. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Generics are usually pretty effective. Um, I know there's been a little bit of controversy as to whether or not the purity level is as high as... Um, the brand names for the most part yeah so there there can be variability in the um, in generic drug quality and purity which for some things isn't a big deal but especially in a situation where you are used to using brand names as the the name that you need so you say hey will you go grab me a Tylenol well if whoever's grabbing the Tylenol doesn't know what Tylenol is they might grab you a an inset instead. Yeah, yeah, I mean, let's say you're a heart patient, the only thing you can take is Tylenol for pain. You say, well, go grab me a, a Tylenol, and they bring you an aspirin because they don't know that the the drug name for Tylenol is acetaminophen. And your generic is going to say acetaminophen or non-aspirin pain reliever. You know, it's not going to be quite as straightforward. So if you want to have something that's easier to communicate with each other, the brand names are the better bet, but if you're looking for something that's more budget friendly and you're not expecting to have, you know, if you're going to use it as a teaching tool to some degree, then generics and their standard names are fine as well. You want to be aware of, like, drug interactions. You got to know that, you know, aspirin and Pepto-Bismol are both based on salicylates and or salicylates you don't want to dose both of those. If you got a headache and an upset stomach, 
if you start dosing Pepto and aspirin, you're going to overdose. And that's no good for you or anybody else around you. If you're sensitive to, you know, Benadryl, you've got to know that you're sensitive to it because it's super sedating. So maybe you want to take a Claritin instead of a Benadryl if you're going to be driving for a while and you're having an allergy attack. You know, if you've got kidney issues, you don't want to take ibuprofen because it's hard on your kidneys. Or if you have liver issues, you know, there's certain things that each one of these medicines is going to affect negatively because that's just the nature of the beast. And you want to know what those are and how they affect you or your family. Well, another thing is, like, if you've got an allergy or an intolerance, like, one thing that we have to keep in mind when supplying medications for our son is that he has fructose intolerance. And he's two, so there's a lot of medications that he can't take full strength or that the bottles say he can't take at all. And I know that he had a really bad respiratory illness this last time, and all the natural remedies have honey in them, and he cannot have honey. It's, it's, it makes him have terrible issues with his stomach, and there was nothing over-the-counter that we could give him at least nothing that said that we could. So we ended up having to go to the doctor and getting a special dosing for um, a medication in order to help him to be able to cough up his phlegm and things like that. And it was just over the counter, but we had to, to know what that was. And now we have that information and we can just pull it next time. But it was something that we didn't know was an option for us. So I, I think having a good physician on hand to be able to ask those questions is really important too. Yeah, and you also want to take into... If you're used to combination medicines, you need to know what's in those, especially like Alka-Seltzer Plus or anything of that nature, so that you're not double dosing on things, because a lot of those combo medicines use acetaminophen, which is the active ingredient in Tylenol, and you, you don't want to have more than like four grams of that a day because it can harm your liver, and if you're taking Tylenol on top of a combo medicine, or you take an antihistamine on top of a combo medicine that already has an antihistamine, you can cause issues. And so it's really, really important to, to understand that. And I'll give a, I'll give a great example. Um, everybody's familiar with Tylenol, Ibuprofen, Aspirin, Aleve. You know, that, those are like the four main over-the-counter pain relievers. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that aspirin, ibuprofen, and Aleve are all NSAIDs, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. And they all work somewhat similarly, but they each have their own benefits and their own drawbacks. Acetaminophen, however, is, um, or Tylenol, is not an NSAID. It functions a little bit differently in the body and can be used in conjunction and it is used in conjunction with like ibuprofen or aspirin. Just look at like Advil dual action. It's ibuprofen and acetaminophen combined and like BC powders or goodies powders. They're um, actually goodies powders. BC is just aspirin. Um, goodies powders are acetaminophen and aspirin combined. So it can be used to you know, to augment the the ability, but you got to keep that in mind. You don't want to take and say, "Hey, I've still got a headache. I took some Advil a while ago," and then go grab a few aspirin and take it because you're going to cause um, cardiac issues with that. 
because mm-hmm. both of those are thinning your blood to some degree, aspirin especially. And then, you know, you you don't want to double up on things because that, that just leads to more issues. With a lot of this, you, you don't want to double up. And again, back to the like brand name thing, you want to choose quality over quantity. If you found a you know an 88 cent pack of a thousand ibuprofen, do you really need a thousand ibuprofen? Is the 88 is that really going to be worth your 88 cents? What is it that you're buying that can be 88 cents worth for a thousand? Right. You you got to look at the way things are and use common sense. If something is labeled as being really cheap for a whole lot of goods, there may be something wrong with it. You got to you know how are they producing this stuff as cheap? Um, where is it coming from? Are you buying it from a reputable source? Because even generic drugs, you can get them and they work fine, but make sure you get them from a reputable brand or manufacturer. Don't buy it from someplace on eBay or Amazon that you've never heard of. Right? It, Equate, so right? Equate, the store brands, they're generic, they're decent, they're not the lowest price stuff but they're not bad products so you can always look at those and then if you want just for simplicity go with the brand names well I mean if there may be a reason that you'd want to buy a brand name for like for example I prefer to buy a dye free version of my kids medicines when possible there are some medications there are no options available that are dye free (laughs) but um, I will always go with like, for example, Tylenol brand dye-free versus the Equate purple stuff yeah. or red stuff or whatever because I just don't want to give that to my kid, especially when they're sick. Yeah. And you can always consider going with anything that's like natural remedies or homeopathic remedies, stuff like that, too. You don't have to go with, you know, any of the standard stuff. You, you can... Cater the kit to do what you want it to do. If you're if you know more about the nat the natural uh, or the homeopathic side of things, you can stock it with that stuff. But never stock a bunch of homeopathic and other without knowing what you have, because especially with homeopathic, if you don't know a lot about both, like especially if you're like us and you have a little bit of both, if you don't know exactly what you have of each, and then you're like doubling up on that. Well, they. That's not as big of a deal because they don't work in this, in a similar situation. At well, all. like tinctures, I'm thinking of, like a tincture probably would. Yeah, tinctures would. Homeopathic stuff isn't quite the same, but for like essential oils or tinctures, where you've got different herbs, different herbs can interact with different drugs to cause issues. So yeah, you want to make sure you know, again, know what you stock and stock what you know. And then, you know, remember the people that are going to be using the kit. Because if, if you've got kids and they might have access to this kit, not that they intend to get into it, but that they will just because they're kids, make sure everything's got um, kid-safe packaging. You don't want to get the arthritis-style um, Aleve bottle that they can open easily. You know, and you want to make sure that when you close these bottles, you close them out good and tight. That way the little ratchet system works and the the, the kid system and sometimes well. they'll still get into it yeah and we that, found that out that's that's a real possibility so you've got to be diligent on we were i tried to get really lazy with 
our Claritin one time and put it up in the kitchen cabinet instead of putting it away where my child couldn't get it. She climbed the kitchen counter, got into the kitchen cabinet, took out the Claritin, somehow opens up this childproof lock and takes, I don't know how many, she's just saying yucky mouth. And so I have to like call the hotline <laughs> and they're like, it's okay. Unless she ate, it was like a huge amount. And I'm like, oh no, she didn't do that. And she's like, she might need to take a nap later. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, but it, not... it happens. Maybe lock it behind a door. We now have a, a whole closet that has a lock on it that at least slows them down. And <laughs> I guess that's a good point, too, is maybe on the box put poison control, the help number on that. That way, if you do have a poison emergency, whether from the box or from somebody else, you've, you can have quick access to call that number to get help. It's probably a good idea to have... Um, Rather than calling 911 immediately because yeah. they're not going to know what you did necessarily and they, they're they going to have to call the same people. Yeah, it, it's probably a good idea to have poison control, the your local police department, and probably some sort of rescue, whether that's a fire department that's very close by or EMS, uh, some type of emergency service. And if you have a fantastic doctor like us, your doctor's cell phone number... <laughs> right there with your medications so that you have it handy and easy to get to for you or whoever might be caring for your children or family members. And going through your kit often is really important too. I don't know that we put this point, so I'll just go ahead and add it here. Um, that if you, there are some medications that need to be disposed of on time. And I think knowing what those are and getting rid of them or if you have medications that you never use, they're probably taking up valuable space in your kit or in your closet or wherever you're keeping your things. And you probably want to purge that and you want to find out the best way to do that. I know mm -hmm. they have um, drug drops and things like that for things that need to be disposed of properly. I know they say you can flush some down the toilet. I would be very careful with that and make sure that that's the proper way for your drugs. Oh, yeah, no, you don't want to do that anyway. <laughs> you don't want to dispose of anything in the toilet. You want to They're make still sure that telling you... you that you can with some things. Mm -hmm. You know that? That sounds like a terrible idea you to You always me. want to take it to the recycle thing so they can be disposed of properly. Yeah, so just um, be cognizant of what you have and making sure that you're getting rid of what you don't need that, you know, will actually go bad or whatnot, even yeah. though we do. We aren't doctors like he's putting out there, so, you know. Don't take just ours so, as medical advice. Just in case anybody wants to say anything. We aren't doctors. This is just suggestions that we have based on how we've done first aid kits in the past. We're not prescribing anything. We're not recommending that you take anything that you don't know how to take. That's kind of the point of the whole deal. Now, you can always consider leveling up your kit and going with more trauma-intended situation. What does that mean? Well, like, I've got like, wound bandages, and I've got gauze, and I've got tape, and band-aids. You want to... Alright, so if... Let's say you do woodworking in your backyard, right? And you're using a table saw, or a band saw, or something that you could easily cut a, a you know, a body part with, with, you know, if you become careless with it. You want to have something in your first aid kit that can keep you from bleeding out and get you to a place that you're going or maybe you're a gun enthusiast you want to make sure that you've got some items they make a thing called an IFAC which is a uh, 
individual first aid kit. That includes a tourniquet, it's got chest seals, and it's got combat gauze in it, which is a hemostatic agent, and it causes the blood to coagulate and clot real well. And that's there in case of a gunshot wound. So you want to, if you do any activities like that, make sure that you've got something in your kit that's going to take care of that. Um, like with tourniquets, most people are familiar with cat tees, which are the basic, they're the loop tourniquets that have the windlass on them, so that you wrap it around, it's like, it's Velcro, and you take and you slide on your arm, you pull it tight, and then you use the windlass to, to crank it down and get it tight around the, the extremity until the bleeding stops. Um, but a lot of people don't know you can't use those on kids. The the Velcro doesn't go small enough and the pressure that the windlass creates is a little bit too strong and could actually harm your child. So you may want to consider having a SWAT T tourniquet which is the stretch, wrap, and tuck tourniquet. And it's basically it's like a giant four and a half inch wide rubber band. You pull it tight, you wrap it around, and then you tuck it in and it creates enough pressure to allow you to slow the bleeding down in the extremity to get you know, get the person to help and safety. And then maybe you want to consider an, an Israeli bandage, which you're not bleeding terribly bad. You don't need a tourniquet per se, but you're bleeding worse than what a band-aid could handle and some pressure on it would be beneficial. Israeli bandage or a pressure bandage does just that. It's like a gauze pad and then it's got a a pressure bar or a pressure cup. There's several different varieties and brands of these but it applies pressure locally to the area and has enough gauze that it can absorb the blood and, and increase the clotting in the, the spot so that you're not bleeding out. Um, Which could be important in a survival issue. Well, but... yeah, because I mean, all of this kind of has in the, the back of our mind what if we can't get to the doctor, right? What if something was to happen that I get hurt in my yard, even after a hurricane, right? You're in the yard cleaning up, and you fall down and poke a hole in your body with a stick that was laying in the yard. It wasn't intentional, mm -hmm. but now you've got a traumatic body injury that you need to take care of, and the ambulances can't get to you. The roads aren't clear, mm -hmm. right? So you got to take that, take that into consideration apply the the same tactical type first aid kit knowledge that you find in you know military handbooks or the the tactical first aid um, trauma courses and apply that to your own home first aid kit it's not anything that you're going to need necessarily right off the bat but it's something that you can look look toward adding in your kit to you know expand its capability and then also learning how to use these items to expand your knowledge on the whole topic. And then in that same kind of situation, there's some advanced medical items that aren't trauma related that are also nice to have. So um, Steri-Strips, which is a product by 3M, they're similar to butterfly closures. If you've seen those, they're, uh, you know what they look like, but I'll pull them up just in case. So what do they do? Well, it's intended for a larger laceration, so not like an abrasion where your skin's kind of broken and you're bleeding just a little bit. So, yeah, so what you've got 
is a laceration in the center of the hand or the arm or whatever body part this is, side of the hand looks like and then these butterfly closures have adhesive on each side and then no no adhesive in the center which allows you to pinch the area and then apply the closure to it so that you're pulling that area nice and tight together similar to a stitch but for you know not non deep but more than a normal scrape type cuts and steri strips work the same exact way i think they're actually all adhesive and they they tend to stick a little bit better here's the steri strips similar idea the whole thing is is adhesive and can work better um i know i've never had good luck with the the um butterflies butterfly closures they just don't seem to work like they should and then you you can use uh you know hydrogel dressings for burns um there's some special silver infused wound dressings that keep the area nice and clean they're antimicrobial 3m tegaderm tape that's another good one it's a transparent film that you can apply to a, a, a wound or a like a cut really more of a scrape or like a burn and it allows you visibility so you you can put a piece of gauze on the cut cover it with tegaderm and then you can see through and see how that gauze is absorbing whether or not the bleeding slowing down and it allows it to breathe too so you, it's a it's like a one-way barrier no, no liquid or blood's going to come out of the thing but there's it can absorb oxygen from the from the air around and allow that wound to heal real well um, but that's that's just some advanced stuff that's not exactly um, band-aids but would those things be considered a med kit is that some of the things that would be in a med kit? I mean... So I know some people delineate between a first aid kit and a med kit. Any kit... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think there's any real delineation between that. Because if you're applying care to somebody at the first cause, it's a first aid. Gotcha. Now... You say med kit, maybe you're talking about like post-op surgery, I'm taking care of somebody that's not a life-threatening situation, or we know that this is the procedure to do. Oh, in a lot of situations, you'll be given that type of stuff before you come home from the hospital. So you're not necessarily going to stock, you know, preventatively for that. But um, some of the way the way these advanced bandages work sometimes they actually increase the ability for your body to heal and it's just better for you than a band-aid especially if you're if you do construction work or something like that and you use your hands a lot and you get your hand cut having a waterproof bandage or a waterproof hydrogel bandage that can actually help heal the cut or the blister or anything that's on your hand is a lot better than having a plain band-aid that's gonna just fall off or get wet and may cause an infection later on that's kind of the idea for the advanced medical stuff I mean you could even add manuka honey to your kit because mm -hmm. it, it's a it can be used as a wound care agent or a antiseptic but again that's a more advanced you have to and um, if you are, say, a teacher or um, 
some type of employer trying to put together a first aid kit, you may need to know your local and state laws in order to know what you are or not are not allowed to give out. I know that if you're a teacher, you probably want to be very careful if you're keeping medications in your classroom. I'm sure that probably needs to be locked away. Um, and I know because normally the nurse would take care of most things for the kids. But I never feel like it's a bad idea to have some band-aids and things like that on yeah. hand. And Even then, if it's just for a smile. We keep cheap band-aids just for the kids just to play with. And then you you may also want to consider for like more off-the-grid type preparedness a Jace case or a um, Duration Health antibiotics kit that gives you five different types of antibiotics and then allows you to have... They, I think they give you a guide that comes with it tells you when to use these antibiotics, what, um, you know, what type of ailment is going to need the antibiotics, and then how long to take, take them, what dosage to give, which I think all of these are, they're pretty much self-explanatory because they're, they'll be prescribed to you specifically, and then they all have a specific duration to use, and anyway, that's something else that you can have, because you don't want to not have it, especially if there's a sort of grid-down situation, especially like a hurricane, and you're a week out from having the power back on, you're out in the middle of nowhere where the trees are all, they're still down, they're a few days out from getting it clear. Having an antibiotic if you were to cut yourself with a chainsaw, not, you know, not even a bad cut, just enough to where now you've got a, a wound that's not healing right and it's starting to get red. Having something to kind of preemptively use on that may be beneficial rather than trying to wait until, you know, the, the coast is clear, so to speak, for the authorities to come in. All right. Um, and then it's also good to have uh, resources. So like a first aid manual from Red Cross. A lot of the information, it, you have to get the new ones. Don't go buy the old ones because, well, I say that. Some of the old ones have good information regarding, like, um, triangular bandages and how to use them to as a sling or headdressing or something like that. But the older ones will tell you, you know, how to do CPR, but... They, they've changed they've recently changed the way you do CPR there's no more breaths it's just mainly chest compressions now so you want to make sure that your resources are up to date and that you've got resources to look back on especially you know if you've got an emergency you want to be clear-headed so you know if you're gonna you know especially look at maybe taking a training class on CPR or first aid or wilderness first aid or trauma first aid anything like that because the more clear-headed you are when you're administering first aid I mean even when giving medicine to your kids you want to be able to you know not panic if your kids got a fever of 103 mm -hmm. degrees you want to be able to stay cool calm and collected so that you can accurately measure out the medicine that you need to give them you know or be comfortable not giving them medicine whatever the case may be yeah. Not not make a decision based on the fact of being scared, being able to be in control and of of what could happen, right? Yeah. Before and it happens in order 
to be able to make those good decisions. Because it's scary when your kid's sick or when your loved one's sick or you're sick. Sometimes when you're sick and you're in pain, you don't think and you just start popping pills or whatnot. But mm-hmm. proactively seeking out information about the medications you keep and things will keep you from making a bad decision. Yep. And then um, there's another more specific book called the Survival Medicine Handbook. And that's written by Joel, Joe Alton. And um, it's a basically it's a 400-page off-grid guide of how to administer medicine when no one else is going to help you with that. And it, it's way it's com- more complex than just regular first aid stuff, but it's also a good resource to have in case you need it for an off-grid situation. I've got a few places that I want to recommend that y'all go visit, especially if you want to just buy a kit and you're not worried about building your own. Um, one is Active Carry Technologies. They are a they're a small company. They make first aid kits that are more tuned to trauma and stop the bleed type scenarios. So you've got um, pressure bandages, you've got uh, Z-folded gauze, you've got combat dressings, like combat gauze, the hemostatic stuff. You've got tourniquets, things of that nature, but they also include a few band-aids and then some of the the more common over-the-counter medications that you may need in an emergency. There's a Doom and Bloom Medical. This is the company that Joe Alton, MD, the one that writes the Survival Medicine Handbook, runs, and they sell small kits, they sell large kits, they sell specialty kits, depending on what it is that you want to do. The big kits have everything that you need to survive off-grid and perform some sort of medicine if you have to. The smaller kits are more like home first aid kits. And then AMP3, I think USNER Doc is the guy that runs that company. And he's got all sorts of different kits as well. They're all priced different. You know, each one of these companies prices their items a little bit differently than the other, and they all have a little bit different stuff in them. Um, But he at least has, he sells something called the, the EDC, which has some first aid components as well as uh, like regular EDC everyday carry items piece of paper pen pencil piece of gum you know stuff like that as well so but anyway that is our little thing on first aid kits we may consider putting a list I've actually I've got a a setup that kinda goes with the first aid kit that I showed previously the one with the Plano box and the layout that I actually came up with and uh, I may post that on the, the website for everybody to see I went into Excel and laid it out and used borders to kind of give me an area you know an area that I could label and then put a list of all the stuff that I have so you could take that and use it for your own advantage and then cater your kit and know what's where in the kit you know take and print that out and stick it in it and that way if you're looking for something, you pull it out and you can see exactly what it is you need. You know exactly where it is inside the kit. We'll probably do another thing about this at some point. We may even sell a branded pocket first aid kit. I don't know. That may be something we do in the future. We'll we'll have to see how that works out. But yeah, I hope it was. I hope this was useful for you. I hope it gives you some ideas. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're gonna make a first aid kit, go and search on the web and see if you can find. I mean, you're gonna find it. 
but go look and get ideas as to what you want and then cater it to your family's needs that way you're not spending money that you don't have on things that you don't need if you want to support us you can always visit us on the website and uh, we've got the we are now part of the buy me a coffee so if you go to our website you can click in the bottom corner and then you can choose how many coffees you want to donate and they're all in five dollar increments and it helps go back to the podcasting expenses that yep. we have and then if you follow the link to buymeacoffee.com if you click on this link in the bottom corner it will bring you to this page which will allow you to look at what we do it allows you to buy a coffee and then you can go to our wish list and then see what it is that we're kind of saving up for and then you can contribute directly to whatever it is that's on our wish list and then that one it's not the same you can contribute a dollar you can contribute two dollars you can contribute however much you want to it's not limited to the five dollar increments um, you can also support us by visiting Charlie Small Engines Yes, I have it on the website. You can go to Charlie Small Engine, Coles on the Coast.com forward slash Charlie's dash small engines that or small dash engines. Anyway, on here you can see some of our services that re, that we offer, and you can click on get a free quote, and then it'll take you to our contact page, which will it'll say request a quote from Charlie Small Engines, and it will email me and then I can get back in touch with you. And you can you can call Jessica if you have learned violin or piano or have anybody that wants to learn violin or piano. Jessica's open for lessons. Um, call her for availability. She only has a certain amount of slots to fill each year. That's been it. Hope you enjoyed episode 13. Have a great day. Thanks for watching.